I reminisce One thing rings out loud and clear <laughs> Courtesy of Bob the Engineer, Dolly the Reception And yes, your host, your servant, the Jester Oh my lord We're wired that way No point in fighting it Hi everybody, I'm Archibald with the Drills of Houston, Texas we Another public service announcement from Real Cream. Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you tuned into the ravings of a clown on Just Radio. <laughs> Don't argue with the ball. Roger, we'll go. It's as good as done. The complete solution for your home PC. Motherfucker. Welcome to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio, coming to you from a secret location outside your universe. But I can take the heat because I'm the other white meat known as Shannon, and I'm hung like planet Pluto. Sing along with the naked eye, but if I crashed into Uranus, I would stick it where the sun don't shine. Kind of like a Han Solo. You can go, my go go. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. Hey, 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 come on in, have a seat, settle down. Oh my gosh, I've been away for so long. Feels like a week. Santa Nan and burn, burn, motherfucker. All right, hey, it's, uh, what's the date? We, aren't we supposed to have that thing going in the bottom right-hand corner? Thank you. It's Tuesday, March the 18th, the year of our Lord, 2008, and you're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio, how you wound up here. It's a mystery. But welcome, welcome, welcome one, welcome all. Put your feet up, put your head back. You do have head back permission for the duration of the show. That's right. For the next 120 minutes, you have... Permission to put your head back, and in case anybody, you know, walks by 
and sees you in this unusual position and inquires what the fuck, then simply put up that sign, you know, the talk to the hand sign, the universal sign for whatever, and say, head back permission, dude. Even if it's not a chick, even if it's not a guy. By the way, especially if it's not a guy, because it just pisses chicks off like crazy to call him dude. Talk to the hand, dude. Head back permission. I'll explain later. Also, now's a good time to pour yourself a glass of uh, schnapps, peppermint schnapps. Or just do like the old jester and stuff yourself uh, a heaping bowl of your favorite green. Won't you join me? Oh, my. Mm -mm. Where am I? Tastes just like a woman's vagina. Uh, such a show we have for you this evening, as Grandma Jester would say, featuring Elliot Smith, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Cat Stevens, so much more. Also, the request lines are open. Um, you can get us a multitude of ways, including emailing us at request at jesterradio.com. You can stop by the uh, jesterradio.com website and click on request. Tell us what you want to hear. We'll get it on the <clears throat> Squeeze me. We'll get it on the air within 15 minutes. Or I have my left testicle surgically removed live on air without the benefit of anesthesia. And, of course, uh, you can also Skype in. Our Skype name is Jester Radio. And the coolest, newest way of getting in touch here with us um, on JR is to call. That's right. Pick up the phone and dial the following digits, 646-502-8600. 646-502-8600. Visit our webpage at www.jesterradio.com where the phone number is prominently displayed uh, currently. 646-502-8600 gets you live on the air with your old pal, the Jester. Got something to say? Got something on your mind? Got something bugging you? Got something bothering you? Got something eating away at your gizzard? Well, give us a call. Tell us what's uh, you know what's on your mind. Time now to turn our attention to the headlines. President Bush says that he has no doubts about waging the unpopular war in Iraq despite the high cost in lives and treasure. He says that retreat now would embolden Iran and provide al-Qaeda with money for weapons of mass destruction to attack the United States. So how they get money, free money if America leaves, that's not clear. Bush is to mark the fifth anniversary of the U.S.-led invasion of Iraq on Wednesday with a speech at the Pentagon, excerpts of his address were released this evening by the White House. At least 3,990 members of the U.S. military have died since the beginning of the war in 2003. It has cost taxpayers about $500 billion so far, and estimates of the eventual tab run way higher. The president says successes in Iraq are undeniable, yet some in Washington still call for retreat. He says war critics can no longer credibly argue that the U.S. is losing in Iraq, so they argue that the war costs too much. I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty fucking credible to say that uh, the U.S. is losing. I think it's credible to say that the U.S. can't possibly win. There is no war. There is no winning. There's no uniforms, or as Reagan used to call them, costumes. 
there's no leader, there's no government, there's no central authority. It's just a pack of, uh, you know, disabused, disgruntled uh, sociopaths that uh, should be rounded up and, uh, you know, heavily sedated. Barack Obama confronted the nation's racial divide head-on today, tackling both black grievance and white resentment in a bold effort to quiet a campaign uproar over race and his former pastor's incendiary remarks. Here's the deal. Reverend Robin Wright, uh, this guy that uh, is the pastor of his church, and he's been his pastor for 20 years. He's been a spiritual leader. He credits him for the name of, that he chose for the book that he wrote. Uh, he raised his family in this church. Um, he, um, you know, the guy married him. The guy baptized his kids. Um, you know, I got to tell you, the shit that's coming out that this guy said, it's not just one comment he made. It's shit that he's been saying over the years. And when I go to listen to somebody uh, and, you know, they start off by saying, you know, that the uh, the Jews and the white men are the fucking problem in this country, um, I don't listen anymore. So there's no way that he could have missed this this guy's position on that. He's he's not just his his priest, his his minister, but he's like a personal bud of his. So he knew what this guy's about now. Of course, he's disavowing any, you know washing his hands and feet of the whole thing. Standing before a row of eight American flags near the building where the Declaration of Independence was adopted, uh, Obama urged the nation to break its racial stalemate that we've been stuck in for years. The anger is real, he said. It's powerful. And to simply wish it away, to condemn it without understanding its roots, only serves to widen the chasm of misunderstanding that exists between the races. You know what? If that's what it takes, if it takes for me to be sympathetic to a bunch of fucking whining motherfuckers who are whining about shit that happened to their great-grandparents, then I guess we're not going to, you know, I think what needs to happen is I think the people that feel that they're the, the eternal victim need, need to step down off their uh, pedestal of victimhood. Uh, you know, you see this in Judaism, too, where they talk about how the 5,000 years of suffering, you know, there's no more suffering. So whatever happened, it happened to people that, you know, are, are in your distantly related to you, but they're not you. And if you take shit that happened to your great-grandparents personally to you, then you're going to always be looking for shit to hurt you. I mean, there's shit that happened back in my family tree and your family tree. Every, every single family has been besmirched somehow along the way. So if you're saying that that's the reason why you can't get a fucking job or that's the reason why you can't get ahead in life, then you're an idiot. Uh, case in point, Barack Obama. Uh, he grew up in a middle-class uh, you know, neighborhood and uh, studied hard and worked hard, didn't sit around whining about how his grandparents were fucking slaves or what have you, and now he's fucking senator of the United States. He said he recognized his race has been a major issue in a campaign. And by the way, this is just what this uh, uh, Reverend Minister Wright has been carrying on about, how the white man's been keeping the black man down, and Hillary Obama doesn't know what it's like to be on a slave ship, as if he fucking knows what it's like to be on a slave ship. And Hillary Obama doesn't know what it's like to have a taxi pass her by because of the color of her skin. Let me tell you something. 
it's a simple matter of economics. If the black people were tipping the cab drivers, they'd be bumping each other in the street to get over to the fairs. It's got nothing to do with the color of their skin. It's got to do with a racial group that the, that the vendors have decided they want to avoid. So it's a commercial reason, not a, not a, a moral, ethical uh, reason. Because the most bigoted, anti-black person in the world would pull over for a black man if he gave him a big tip. Stop whining. Whining is not how you get the cab to pull over. Next time you do get a fucking cab, uh, give him a big-ass fucking tip. And then we'll see how much the cab drivers start pulling over for the black people. He says he recognized his race has been a major issue in a campaign. And this is another thing we don't need. In this day and age, the year is 2008, we now know that, in fact, there is only one race. It's called the human race. There is no such thing as the black race or the Jew race or the white race. It's all completely fictitious. You know what the de- difference is in DNA between a black man and a white man? Absolutely none whatsoever. There is no nigger gene. There is a collection of traits that we call black but that doesn't mean that they're in any way different so we now know that and for the and for people to still you know intelligent leaders to still keep using the terms race and why my race feels this and your race isn't getting it uh is really just perpetuating this just this, this terrible thing uh, you know, years ago, Hitler uh, uh, had the, the hundreds of scientists get together and, you know, d- boil down all of humanity to X number of races, 121 races. And every human had to go into one of these slots and they could be a quarter this and an eighth that, you know. And then, uh, you know, likewise, we have the uh, the United States census is an interesting thing. There's been, uh, you know, 22 censuses done or 24 censuses, and every single one of them has had a different list of races. Are you black, Hispanic, African-American, Negro, Negroid, Caucasian, uh, European, Eastern European? Um the reason is because there is no such thing. Everybody in the, everybody that's a human is in the same race. There's no other race. Uh, he said he recognized that race had been a major issue in a campaign that has taken a particularly de- divisive turn. Many people have been turning to the Internet to view statements by his long-term pastor, the Reverend Jeremiah Wright, who suggested in one sermon that the United States brought the September 11 terrorist attacks on itself. And in another said that blacks should damn America for continuing to mistreat them. Obama rejected, and this is really understating it. You have to get on YouTube and look up this guy, um, uh, Jeremiah Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, and see some of this shit. This guy is really anti-American. Obama rejected Wright's divisive statements, but still embraced the man who brought him to Christianity, officiated at his wedding, baptized his two daughters, and inspired the title of his book, the audacity of hope. I can no more disown him than I can disown the black community, Obama said. I can no more disown him than I can my white grandmother. Notice how we slipped that in there. A woman who helped raise me, a woman who uh, sacrificed again and again for me, even though she was white. A woman who loves me as much as she loves anything in the world, even though she's white. But a woman who once confessed her fear of black men, 
who passed by her on the street. And I believe me, I know what she's uh, feeling, and it's not Walter Cronkite I'm looking for. It's not the media. It's niggas. And who on more than one occasion has uttered racial or ethnic stereotypes that made me cringe? Obama's father is a black man from Kenya who left the family when he was two years old. He was raised by his white mother and her parents in Hawaii. Wright's controversial statement had gotten new life as his church's most prominent member became the frontrunner for the Democratic presidential nomination. A CBS News poll taken on Sunday and Monday indicated that most voters had heard at least something about Wright's comments, and about a third said that they made uh, them feel more negative. So this is going to be um, a real difficult thing as it stops snowballing. Um, sometimes these things go away prematurely and they just sort of simply vanish, you know, while you're still looking for them, you know. But this one seems to have traction because I was flipping around the news channels uh, today and it just seemed all anybody wanted to talk about, liberal, conservative, um, and everybody was basically saying the same thing, you know, um, I don't want to, you know, engage in guilt by association, but what does it mean that this guy sat there for 20 years and listened to this crap? There's no way he wasn't saying this all along. Um, and I couldn't help but think, you know, good fucking point. If I went to a meeting and some guy started spewing some really, um, uh, you know, fucked up uh, stuff about, you know, America and me and white people um, or even black people... I would get the fuck out. I wouldn't wait for 20 years to listen to him through. Thousands of pages of Hillary Rodham Clinton schedules as First Lady are being released to the public after months of um, the Clintons delaying the disclosure. Hey, you're uh, on the air with the jester. Who's calling? Hey, this is S. Poe. Yo, Poe. First time listener. Thank you very much for calling in. Hey, so you're saying... That uh, that you think that it's uh, that it affects your opinion of Obama that he sat there in church listening to this guy. I gotta tell you, I hate to say it, you know, but yeah, it does. It affects. Why my... do Why do you hate to say it? Because I don't believe that we should be judged on what who we associate with. So I and associate that... with you. God knows, I wouldn't want anybody to mistake my opinions for yours. So I may find other redeemable qualities of hanging with you, even though you're a nigger hater, for example. Every, and widely so known. Why, why do you uh, let this affect your opinion of Obama? Because it, have you heard the, the, this re, this minister's speeches? Well, the, yeah, but I'm saying why. It, I mean, how can you hold both opinions? Yeah. Well, that's a good point. I I, uh, I guess I'm struggling with it. Because doesn't sound like you're struggling, though. It, this it, listen, if it, it, it's an extreme case, because I would say I don't believe in guilt by association. But if you're hanging out with Hitler, then that's fucked up. Right, but you know he's not Hitler. Uh, yeah, no, I I think that this guy is uh, the moral equivalent of Hitler. To stand up and say that the white man is is your fucking problem. Um, in creating this fictional enemy so that he can keep his church coffers filled. Um, yeah, I think it's a, like a Hitler, mini Hitler. So, yeah, I'm really worried about this guy and, and Barack's association with him. Do, aren't you? I mean... No. Well, let's, I mean, let's bring it into another term. You constantly are using, let's say, the nigger word. Do you have a definition for nigger? I, ref I like to refer to it as the nigger word so right. that I don't offend anybody. 
Right. So what is your definition? Like, how do you use that word? Black person. Any person that is a black person is a nigger? Yes. And Do, is there a, it's can just you a, call a white person a nigger? Yeah, sure. I guess you could. So but what's your real I don't definition? know if it would really bother him. I think it's just because it's funnier than the black person saying nigger. I'm just, you know, going with the with the lingo of the day. But you mean you really think that's funny? I would just say I would say slut instead of chick or woman, you know, and or biatch because it's funnier. It's funnier. You mean you think that it's funnier for you or people listening to you? Yeah. Well, I don't really distinguish between the two, Poe. No. I, uh, no. I think that if they're not, if they're going to get like wrinkle their nose and tighten their sphincter every time I say nigger, that they really need to you know tune away. That there's um, it's you know the reason I use these words is because of of tight ass assholes like that who are offended by it. So it acts as a natural filter. If you can handle that, you've been listening to me for ten years now. So yeah, I think it's a stupid word to use. Do you cringe every time I say nigger? Well, I I don't necessarily cringe. I just think it's a it's it's not misguided. It's uh, it, we are it, so it, going it, it the other way. That you don't necessarily want we to are so that. going the wrong direction. I you know what we need to go back to where um, I'm talking now. So if you want to hear what I have to say, then you have to get outside your. Uh, how the world is all about you and hear what I'm saying in the context of how I'm saying it. So um, if you're going to stand by and go, well, I just can't listen to you because you have so many occurrences of the word nigger when everything you say, then I say, then don't listen to what I fucking say. If you can't get past that. No, but it seems that uh, you're trying to say something by using that word. You're, for you, you're thinking it's funny. Right? I'm also trying to um, say that this is an, a you know a, a commonly offensive word, or it's a um, um, you know taboo word, and and he, you know we're here to uh, disregard those you know social taboos and you know ignore them and and have fun, uh, you know without worrying about who we're offending. So I think that's a well. Who would you be offending though? Somebody who has a hard time just hearing the word nigger. I know a lot of people just cringe and they, you know, say, well, you know, fuck, cunt, you know, some of these words people just can't handle. So that's who I think I'm offending. I think any niggers or any white people or black people or any other color that, you know, are taking it, you know, in the spirit in which it's intended is not, is not insulted. I mean, but it's intended in, in what kind of way? It's not a, it's not a respect. Mostly just it's as not. humor. Mostly just yeah. as humor. If I was to say to you, uh -huh. you fucking Jew, and I said it to, you know, to, to hurt you because I think that Jews are bad, then that would be bad. That would be ethically bad. But that's not the context I'm using it in. I'm just using the word as if, like, you know, as if you call, like, a guy a biatch. He doesn't really think you're calling him a bitch. It's just like a fun way of insulting him it's just all in good fun yeah well i don't know it seems that uh it seems that uh, it comes off as hateful more than than uh good-natured fun and yet do you know me to have ever been hateful towards a black person in my entire life no that's why I so think then why would you say that because that's exactly how it sounds 
It just seems like the wrong word. It's, uh, that's crazy. Because, because how could, how words, could there be a wrong word? How could words be wrong? How could words be bad? You say, you're, you're like responding in such a conservative way about all this. I, I don't, well, not I, conservative. It's, it's just that words have particular definitions, and the word nigger is never something uh, that isn't supposed to be offensive. What? When you use it. Bullshit. Fucking people say it all the time. Nigger, please. No, no, when you use it. Well, hmm. Okay, well, I'll have to think about that, Poe. Um, right. I, I, I certainly don't mean it that way, but if it's coming off that way, then I guess I'll have to take that into consideration. I, uh, appreci- I appreciate that. All right. Thanks. Well, I'm just saying that uh, Barack Obama can listen to his minister speak garbage if he uh, no, likes him as a uh, Likes guest. him as a friend, right? Well... I, uh, you're right. There's always more to the story, but this guy really did say some super sick shit. So it makes you wonder what kind of guy is the, is are his friends. You know, I used to be a friend with a guy who um, I was friends with him for years and years. Had dinner with him once or twice a week, and his wife, with my wife, uh, they were his and my wife's were in business together. She was a model, and. Um, um, one day he says to me, um, he says, you know, that guy, Joel, um, what was his name? The guy who killed his little Steinberg. baby girl. He goes, you know, Joel Steinberg, he's a friend of mine. He's a great guy. I don't understand what's going on with him. And I stopped fucking hanging out with this guy. That was the end of it for me. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to draw your line somewhere, obviously, Barack. So for him to say, after all this time, after all this time I knew him, you would say, well, why why should I hold it against him that he's, you know, friends? And he was, like, vigorously defensive of him when all the evidence showed that he was like this maniac. He brutalized his wife for years and uh, tortured this poor little kid to death, seven-year-old Amy Steinberg. Uh, He beat her to death, threw her across the room, forced her to eat pepper, tortured her. Um, and uh, I couldn't hang out with this guy anymore. Yeah. Well, there's, I guess, there's a difference between physical violence against a person and and you know stupid ideas. Yeah, stupid hate speech coming from a religious leader is a really, really dangerous thing. That's how we ended up with the twin towers getting destroyed. Well, yeah. I mean, if he was calling for people to uh, rise up and uh, kill, I mean, he also mentioned the Tuskegee Air. That's right. You know, syphilis. Experience. That's right. So, Certain That's right. That didn't happen true. to anybody alive today. So to stir up That's feelings. True. No, there's nobody alive from the Tuskegee Airmen experiments. Well, why not? Because the- <laughs> that was World War Two. Yeah, but there's nobody alive. I'm trying to say. In other words, it's not happening. He's not reporting the news. He's whipping these people into a frenzy. So you're saying he's not leaving it by saying, "Now go out and firebomb a fucking honky store," but he's really inciting that. By saying those yeah. things, so yeah, he's he's not he's not a guy I would choose. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and how do you feel about the fact that Bar- Barack is friendly with him? That's okay with you. Well, it's it's certainly okay with me. You know, I don't know their relationship at all, but uh, you know, I don't I don't think that it would affect his presidency. I don't think he, Barack is a, an America hater like this guy. Well, I agree with you there. Thanks a million for calling in, Poe. So there you go. A heated discussion on the subject of whether or not you should hold people's uh, friends against you. I guess I, uh, you know, ethically have a problem with that. Um, 
uh, and I guess uh, at the same time, I'm also worried about um, you know whether or not the pr- the 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 next president is harboring you know ill you know feelings towards his country that uh, you know he's not uh, saying he has this secret you know agenda. I guess everybody's worried about that. You're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown. It's Tuesday, March the 18th, the year of our Lord, 2008. Do you believe in magic in a young girl's eyes, how the music can free her whenever she stars?
choice of men that I could never love again. He's the only one for me, Jolene. I had to have this talk with you. My happiness depends on you and whatever you decide to do, Jolene. Incredible Dolly Parton on Jester Radio with those wacky uh, guitar part there, that sort of haunting, uh, funky guitar riff, and those weird background vocals and uh, this pleading um, lyric that just keeps repeating the name over and over again. Please don't take him just because you can. Your beauty is beyond compare with flaming locks of auburn hair with ivory skin and eyes of emerald green. Your smile is like a breath of spring. Your voice is like summer rain. And I cannot compete with you, Jolene. And uh, she just uh, repeats, you know, this name over and over again. You, you could have your choice of men, but I could never love again. He's the only one for me, Jolene. And uh, I had to have this talk with you. My happiness depends on you and whatever you decide to do, Jolene. Dolly Parton on Jester Radio. Um, who was that before that? Oh, yeah, the Eleven Spoonful. And uh, do you believe in magic? If you believe in magic, come along with me. We'll dance until morning, till there's just you and me. Maybe if the music is right, I'll meet you tomorrow. Sort of late at night, and we'll go dancing, baby. Then you'll see how the magic's in the music and the music's in me. You're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. It's Tuesday, March the 18th, the year of our Lord, 2008. Uh, thousands of pages of Hillary Rodham Clinton's schedules as First Lady are being released to the public after months of pressure and criticism that the Clintons were delaying the disclosure. The National Archives, which operates uh, former President Clinton's presidential library in Little Rock, announced today that it would release 11,046 pages of Clinton's daily schedules at the Little Rock facility and online on uh, Wednesday morning. Clinton has faced criticism from fellow Democratic presidential candidate Barack Obama and Republicans over the number of White House documents from her husband's administration that haven't been made public. This is in light, by the way, of an administration that has lost, quote-unquote, 300,000 emails. The documents to be released include schedules for 2,888 days and are the files from Patty Salas Doyle, who was the former First Lady Scheduling Director. Doyle served as manager of Clinton's presidential campaign but stepped down in February after a series of losses to Obama in the Democratic nomination battle. The archive said 4,746 pages of documents have parts blacked out, mostly to protect the privacy of third parties, including Social Security numbers, telephone numbers, and home addresses. So she's coming clean. 
Americans have a right to guns. Supreme Court justices declared today in a historic and lively debate that could lead to the most significant interpretation of the Second Amendment since its ratification two centuries ago. Governments have a right to regulate those firearms. A majority of justices seem to agree. But there was less apparent agreement on the case they were arguing whether Washington's ban on handguns goes too far. The justices dug deeply into arguments on one of the Constitution's most hotly debated provisions as demonstrators shouted slogans outside, guns are an American right, argued one side, guns kill, responded the other. Inside the court at the end of a session extended long past the normal one hour, a majority of justices appeared ready to say that Americans have a right to keep and bear arms that goes beyond the amendment's reference to service in a militia. Several justices were openly skeptical that the District of Columbia's 32-year-old handgun ban, perhaps the strictest in the nation, could survive under that reading of the Constitution. What is reasonable about a total ban on possession, Chief Justice John Roberts asked. Walter Dellinger, representing the district, replied that Washington residents could own rifles and shotguns and could use them to protect uh, at home. Uh, what is reasonable about a total ban on possession is that it's a ban only on the possession of one kind of weapon, of handguns. That's considered especially dangerous, Dellinger said. Justice Stephen Breyer appeared reluctant to second-guess local officials. Is it unreasonable for a city with a very high crime rate to say no handguns here, Breyer said. Alan Gura, representing a Washington resident who challenged the ban, said it's unreasonable and it fails any standard of review. The court is not conclusively interpreted the Second Amendment since its ratification in 1791. And the amendment here, for your reference, reads, quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The basic issue for the justices and whether the amendment protects an individual's right to own guns no matter what, or whether that right is somehow tied to service in a state militia. A key justice, Anthony Kennedy, seemed to settle that question uh, early on when he said the Second Amendment gives a general right to bear arms. He's likely to be joined by Roberts and Justices Samuel Alito, uh, Antonine Scalia, and Clarence Thomas, a majority of the nine-member court. Gun right proponents are encouraged. So if you, uh, you know, like to play with guns, um, then, uh, you know, you're happy. But the truth is this battle is really not about... Um, uh, whether or not, you know, people can have guns. Even in Washington, D.C., where guns are banned, um, you can still own rifles for hunting and protecting your home. You just can't have a handgun because the city has the highest fucking murder rate in the United States. So um, I do believe that the Constitution generally gives... Um, the individual the right to protect oneself and in the language of the day to keep and bear arms um, that made sense in today's interpretation I would say that also translates into the right to uh, you know have a security fence and the right to have an alarm system and so on and other things you can do to protect yourself but for the nut jobs that are really fighting this cause because they like to play with guns and they want all kinds of guns available so that they can go out in the, sh in the woods and shoot tin cans with them, then that's not okay. Because the more guns there are, especially in the hands of retards like that, then the more guns end up in the hands of 
you know, innocent people or children who end up, you know, bl blowing each other's heads off. So I'm not saying do it for the children. I'm saying that there has to be some kind of limit because uh, my kids are running around in the world. I know it's not ever going to be a safe, 100% safe world. But, um, you know, we can mitigate the danger. And one way of doing that is regulating, you know, how much and what kinds of guns. I worry uh, that if we removed all bans and all limitations from pe people owning weapons, then um, the problem won't be the um, wholesome individual who's protecting his home. The problem will be the wacko that starts to uh, stockpile them and fantasize about, you know, shooting uh, people from a tower. Lindy England, remember this um, one? This was the this was the girl whose picture you saw in all those Abu Ghraib pictures, with the thumbs up. You know, watching guys you know dick each other up the ass. Uh, the public face of the Abu Ghraib prison scandal told a German news magazine that she was sorry for appearing in the photographs of detainees in the notorious Iraqi prison, and believes the scenes of torture and humiliation served as a powerful rallying point for anti-American insurgents. In an interview with the weekly magazine Stern, uh, conducted in English and posted on its website today, England was both remorseful and unrepentant and conceded that the published photos surely incensed insurgents in Iraq. I guess after the picture came out, the insurgency picked up and Iraqis attacked the Americans and the British and they attacked in return and they were just killing each other. I felt bad about it. No, I felt pissed off. If the media hadn't exposed the pictures to that extent, then thousands of lives would have been saved. So there you go. It's the media. It's always people, when always, whenever they get caught at doing something, it's never what they did to get caught. It's always the person who, you know, exposed them. Uh, because the world would have been better off if nobody knew. Asked how she could blame the media for the controversy, she said it wasn't her who leaked the photos. Yeah, I took the photos, but I didn't make it worldwide. Yes, I was in five or six pictures and took some pictures, and those pictures were shameful and degrading to the Iraqis and our government, she said, according to the report. And I feel sorry and wrong about what I did, but what I would not have escalated to what it did all over the world if it wouldn't have been for someone leaking it to the media. And this is the problem, leaking to the media as if the media is the enemy of the people. Um, the media, of course, is there as the fourth estate in lieu of the fact that we can't be looking up our government's ass 24 hours a day. We have this essential component to democracy called a free press, whose job is it to do nothing but expose things 24 hours a day. It's a great wonderful, pure, beautiful part of what makes the American system the least worst of all of the other systems in the world. The free press. So whenever you hear anybody bemoaning the free press, keep in mind that if you weren't interested in it, then they wouldn't be reporting on it. And that they are reporting on it is a good thing. They're, they're doing the job because you and I have to go to work shoveling shit against the tide every day. They're the ones out there sticking their fucking probes up the politicians' asses, poking fucking holes in the files and looking for shit, uh, it's their job. They did a great job. The guy who came out with these photos and published them in the newspaper, he should get a fucking Pulitzer Prize. England, who was a private first class, was, uh, of course, uh, in several images taken in late 2003 by U.S. guards in Abu Ghraib. One showed her holding a naked prisoner on a leash, 
while in others she posed with a pyramid of naked detainees and pointed at the genitals of a prisoner while a cigarette hung from the corner of her mouth. <laughs> you know, you got to admit it's funny. And by the way, you got to admit that if the photos didn't get out, right, who would it hurt other than these terrible poor people? Asked by the magazine if what happened at Abu Ghraib was a scandal or something that happens during wartime, England said it was the latter. I'm saying that what we did happens in war. It just isn't documented, she was quoted as saying. Uh, if it had been broken by the news without the pictures, it wouldn't have been that big. Hmm. Well, I have to admit that's true. Wartime is um, typically a time when sociopathic personalities um, you know, have free reign. Um, you know, we saw this back in Vietnam. John Kerry testified to seeing people disfigure people, cut off their ears, their heads, uh, their genitals, and so on. Uh, the army is the perfect place if you're, um, you know, if you're a serial killer. She told the magazine that there are other photographs uh, that have not been released that contain more graphic images than those that were seen on TV, in newspapers, and on the Internet. You see the dogs biting the prisoners well, you see the bite marks on the dogs. You see MPs, which are the military police, holding down a prisoner so a medic can give him a shot, she said. If those had been made public at the time, then the whole world would have looked at those and not at mine. Man, she is one bitter fucking bitch. I mean, woman. England was released because I don't want to say it in a hateful way. England was released in March 2007 after serving half her 36-month sentence. She was convicted of six counts involving prisoner mistreatment. England says she's living with her parents in Fort Ashby, West Virginia, along with her son, Carter, whose father, by the way, James uh, Grainer Jr., the uh, reputed ringleader of those who took the pictures. They were both members of the 372nd Military Police Company based in Western Maryland. Eleven U.S. soldiers were convicted of crimes at the prison near Baghdad. Grainer received the harshest sentence. Uh, he's still serving his 10-year term. So she's living with mom and dad in their double wide in West Virginia. She is truly the face of American white trash. The military is beefing up uh, efforts to gather intelligence, fend off cyber attacks, and improve relations with other nations as part of a strategy for keeping the U.S. safe while fighting two wars, according to a Pentagon document. The four-page plan acknowledges there's still a significant risk that the military cannot quickly and fully respond to another outbreak in the world and outlines what must be done to counter the threat. Sent to Congress by Defense Secretary Robert Gates and obtained by Jester Radio, the, pa the plan revo uh, relies heavily on building partnerships with other countries. It accompanied a classified risk assessment compiled by Admiral Michael Mullen, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Most important compo component in the long war is not the fighting we do ourselves, but how well we help our partners and defend and to, uh, to defend and govern themselves. Gates said in the plan, the term long war refers to the global war against terrorism. That would include providing more disaster relief around the globe to improve the positive worldwide perception of the United States, he said. Mullen's risk assessment, a report by uh, the AP last month, concluded that battlefield tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, along with persistent terrorist activity and other threats, have prevented the U.S. military from improving its ability to respond to any new crisis. So there's a crisis in the making. Another short-sighted, um, you know, uh, measure of this uh, administration. 
And I do love this guy's uh, recommendation about these um, um, disaster relief efforts, um, which give the United States great PR, and they're cheap as balls. You know, I mean, you could feed a million of those fucking pot-bellied uh, um, poor black children, uh, f- you know, for the, what it costs to put a fucking, you know, a clip of bullets in a fucking gun. A day after his predecessor's sex scandal propelled him into office, Governor David Patterson revealed today that he had affairs with a number of women. (laughs) It's in the water, including a state employee, but said that does not affect his ability to lead. Bravo. Patterson had admitted one fair in a newspaper interview hours after taking office today, but gave a fuller accounting at a news conference with his wife standing at his side. Several years ago, there were a number of women, Patterson said, public wants to know uh, who its elected officials are and sometimes even though you're human and you're someone who just has feelings and has faults there comes a time perhaps when you have to tell the public patterson said that the affairs happened during a rough patch in his marriage uh, i and he thought he was fucking his wife and it was some other chick he's blind you see patterson said the affairs happened uh, during a rough patch the employee did not work for him he insisted he did not advance her career. No campaign or state money was spent on any affairs. The admissions dampened the mood in the Capitol, where legislators had chanted Patterson's name, cheered after he was sworn in on Monday. But there were many significant differences between Patterson's infidelity and the scandal that took down uh, former Governor Elliot Spitzer. Uh, Spitzer, uh, like Patterson, a Democrat, has been accused of spending tens of thousands of dollars on high-priced call girls, including one last month. Federal prosecutors are deciding whether to pursue charges against Spitzer, uh, who went after prostitution rings when he served as attorney general, ironically. I do not feel I have broken my commitment to the citizens of New York State, Patterson said. There you go. Nobody's fucking business but his own. And I couldn't agree more. It's not like he spent, you know, the the citizens' money, and it's not like he did anything illegal. Uh Breaking the vows of his marriage, that may cause you to think less of him as a person, but um, I don't know if that really impairs his ability to govern. Using tiny brushes and chisels, workers picking at a big greenish-black rock in the basement of North Dakota State Museum are meticulously uncovering something amazing. A nearly complete Dinosaur, You heard me. Skin and all. Unlike almost every other dinosaur fossil ever found, the Edmontosaurus uh, named Dakota, a duck-billed dinosaur unearthed in southwestern North Dakota in 2004, is covered by fossilized skin that's hard as iron. It's among just a few mummified dinosaurs in the world, say the researchers, who are slowly freeing it from a 65-million-year-old rock tomb This is the closest many people will ever get to see what large parts of a dinosaur actually looked like in the flesh, said Philip Manning, a paleontologist at Manchester University in England, a member of the international team researching Dakota. This is not the usual disjointed sentence or fragment of a word that the fossil records offer up as evidence of past life. This is a full chapter. Animal tissue typically decomposes quickly after death, Researchers say Dakota must have been buried rapidly and in just the right environment for the texture of the skin to be preserved. The process of decay was overtaken by that of fossilization, preserving many of the soft tissue structures, Manning said. Tyler Lyson, a 25-year-old doctoral 
paleontology student at Yale University, discovered the dinosaur on his uncle's ranch in the Badlands of North Dakota in 1999. Weeks after he started to unearth the fossil in 2004, he knew he had found something special. Usually all we have is bones, Lyson said in a telephone interview. In this special case, we're not just after the bones, we're after the whole carcass. Researchers have used the world's largest CT scanner operated by Boeing in California and uh, used to examine space shuttle parts to get a better look at what's encased in the rumpled mass of sandstone. Stephen Bagan, a Michigan consultant on the project, said this is the fifth dinosaur mummy ever found that is of any significance. may turn out to be one of the best mummies because of the quality of the skin that we're finding and the extent of the skin that's on the specimen. So... Here you go. Nobody's seen uh, this uh, guy in 65 million years, so I'd love to have a conversation with that guy that has the museum near the uh, Grand Canyon that that shows how the Grand Canyon was actually formed 7,000 years ago when, uh, you know, dinosaurs and men lived on Earth at the same time. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Just the Radio. The Nazis are here. After the turn of the century In the clear blue skies over Germany Came a roar and a thunder men have never heard Like the screaming sound of a big war bird Up in the sky, a man in a plane Baron von Richthofen was his name Eighty men tried and eighty men died Now they're buried together on the countryside Looking dog with a big black nose. He flew into the sky to seek revenge, but the Baron shot him down. Yes, he's wild again. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 or more. The bloody red Baron was rolling up the score. 80 men died trying to end that spree of the bloody red Baron of Germany. Now Snoopy had swore that he'd get that man So he asked the great pumpkin for a new battle plan He challenged the German to a real dog fight While the Baron was laughing, it got him in his sight Fired once and it fired twice, and that bloody red bird went spinning out of sight. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 or more, the bloody red bird was rolling up the score. 80 men died trying to end that spree of the bloody red bird of Germany.
show the world, world's gotta see, see all the love, love that's in me. I said, why walk alone? Why worry when it's warm over here? You've got so much to say, say what you mean. Meanwhile, you think and think anything. Oh, why? Why must you waste your life away? Seth Islam on Jester Radio. Can't keep it in, can't hide it in, I can't lock it away. I'm up for your love. Love spins my blood, blood spins my head, and my head falls in love. Royal Guardsman started that set with Snoopy versus the Red Baron. And you're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio this Tuesday, March the 18th. Got something to say? 646-502-8600 gets you live on the air with the Jester. Stop that check. It turns out that the call girl that was linked to Elliot Spitzer had already shed her clothes for Girls Gone Wild as an 18-year-old when partying in Miami. Joe Francis, the company's founder, had reached out to Ashley Alexandra Dupre, now 22, with an offer of a million bucks to appear in his, um, uh, on his um, you know, website um, and their new magazine that they're starting called Girls Gone Wild. Um, and a chance to join the tour bus for a million bucks. But um, someone had a revelation at the Tuesday morning staff meeting. Uh, Did anyone think to check the archives? It'll save me a million bucks, Francis told Jester Radio today. It's kind of like finding a winning lotto ticket in the cushions of your couch. 
Francis said that at that point, uh, his, the offer was off the table. We actually had been dealing with her rep, he said. Our offer was the real deal. We just never made the connection. He said his employees got to work on pulling the footage and planned to offer it on the website by this evening uh, with a free sampling on the front page and the rest available with a twenty nine ninety five monthly subscription. Dupre's attorney, Donald D. Buckwald, declined comment. According to Girls Gone Wild press release, Dupre visited Miami in 2003 to celebrate her 18th birthday. After fighting with a friend and getting thrown out of her hotel, Dupre found the nearby Girls Gone Wild bus. The company said she signed legal papers, spent a full week on the bus filming seven length of uh, seven full-length tapes. This is truly like hitting the lotto, which included nudity, same-sex encounters, according to the company. I personally ended up buying her a Greyhound bus ticket back home to North Carolina, Francis told Jester Radio. Um, he said he returned to California just last week after being sentenced to time served and fines in Florida in a case involving filming underage girls. He still faces trial on federal tax evasion charges. They carry a penalty of up to 10 years in the can. Dupre's public profile has skyrocketed since Spitzer resigned earlier this week amid the prostitution scandal. He was accused of spending tens of thousands of dollars on whores, including a February tryst with a call girl named Kristen, uh, since identified as Dupre. Uh, her MySpace page has more than 5 million hits. Uh, immediately after the scandal broke, her musical efforts, including two songs posted at the music-sharing site Aim Street, was listened to hundreds of thousands of times and was played on national airwaves. Hustler publisher Larry Flint told Jester Radio last Friday that he emailed Dupre, offering her a million bucks to appear nude in his magazine, but didn't sound optimistic that she would settle for that amount. Flint suggested that by the time Dupre starts talking, she may be too big a media phenomenon for a simple magazine spread. She is no doubt going to do a book. There'll probably be a movie, he said. I think she's going to have so many offers coming in That'll probably be wishful thinking just to get in the door. Can you imagine? This is what um, uh, Dave Chappelle said. Imagine being so fucking powerful, you know, that when a person sucks your dick, they become famous. <laughs> it's just, it's just incredible. And we're obsessed with these fucking people. We just want to know everything about them. Uh, literally, we want to see inside her vulva. Because she sucked the fucking governor's dick. Sad news today. Arthur C. Clarke, a visionary science fiction writer who uh, wrote 2001 Space Odyssey and won worldwide acclaim with more than 100 books on space science and the future, died today. Uh, he was 90 years old. Clark, who had battled debilitating post-polio syndrome since the 1960s, died at 1.30 a.m. in his adopted home of Sri Lanka after suffering breathing problems. Co-author uh, with Stanley Kubrick of the uh, film 2001 Space Odyssey, uh, he was regarded as far more than a science fiction writer. He was credited with the concept of the communication satellite in 1945, decades before they became a reality. Geosynchronous orbits, which keep satellites in a fixed position relative to the ground, are called Clark orbits, and that and that zone where they all the satellites um, revolve around the Earth is called the Clark Belt. We joined American broadcaster Walter Cronkite as commentator on the U.S. Apollo moonshots in the late 1960s. Uh, his nonfiction volumes on space travel and his explorations of the Great Barrier Reef and the Indian Ocean earned him respect in the world of science. And in 1976, he became an honorary fellow of the American Institute 
of aeronautics and astronautics. But it was his writing that shot him to the greatest fame, that gave him the greatest fulfillment. Sometimes I'm asked how I would like to be remembered, Clark said recently. I have had a diverse career as a writer, underwater explorer, and space promoter. Of all those, I would like to be remembered as a writer. From 1950, he began a prolific output of both fiction and nonfiction, sometimes publishing three books a year. He published the best-selling 3001, The Final Odyssey, when he was 79 years old. Some of his best-known books include Childhood's End, The City and the Stars, Nine Billion Names of God, Rendezvous with Rama, Imperial Earth, The Songs of Distant Earth. All of these books were the bedrock of my childhood, um, especially Childhood's End, which is um, uh, still to this day has a sort of a stunning and um, psychically altering uh, kind of um, ending to it. And even just thinking about it, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. When Clark and Kubrick got together to develop a movie about space, they used as basic ideas several of Clark's shorter pieces, including uh, The Sentinel, which was written in 1948, um, which was a, a great story about this monolith that was erected on the moon, on the dark side of the moon. So it would sort of act as an alarm clock to the people that left it there. Uh, knowing that when you know they came by and saw that you know we were scrapping along uh, as apes, and they said, you know what, these guys are going to evolve in a couple of million years. Let's leave a marker here. And so when they fi finally make it off their own planet, um, they get to the moon, which would be naturally the first stop if you're going to explore space. And when they get to the dark side of the moon, then it'll set off this sentinel, which would then flag this alien race to you know. Uh, that uh, you know that these people are now finally ready to enter the you know the community of the universe. Uh, just an awesome story. It was the uh, it was a short story written back in 1950, and it was what was basically the basis for uh, 2001, and then 2010, and 2061, and 3001. In 1989, two decades after the Apollo 11 moon landings, Clark wrote 2001 was written in an age which now lies beyond one of the great divides in human history. We have surrendered from it forever by the moment when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin stepped out into the sea of tranquility. Now history and fiction have become inexorably intertwined. Uh, interesting comment he made a number of years back on the 30th anniversary of 2001. Um, they said, uh, you know, what was it that was the biggest surprise from when they did the movie and you know in 64 and you know and 30 years later um, and he said the biggest surprise was miniaturization uh, nobody had ever really uh, counted on the integrated circuit to become such you know so essential um, to you know electronics and, sci and scientific you know the explosion of science uh, but really, all the science that we have now in terms of uh, DNA and um, all these you know, micro-sciences are um, all made possible because of the integrated circuit, because of, this, because of the uh, integrated chip. And this is one thing that even Arthur C. Clarke, the great, brilliant Arthur C. Clarke, didn't foresee. You know, when he wrote 2001, he saw HAL as being, you know, hallways of circuitry, you know, like the computers were in his day. They were rooms filled with tubes. So he envisioned hallways filled with, you know, clear crystal circuits, but, you know, still hallways, just the same. And by the time he died, he had more power and, you know, his little desktop Dell computer 
than uh, you know Hal ever dreamed of. And I'll tell you another interesting story about Arthur C. Clarke. He was an idol of mine. He was the, you know one of the big three. There was Clarke, and there was Heinlein, Robert A. Heinlein, and there was Isaac Asimov. And these guys sort of created the foundation of what all sci-fi is about now. And um, my good buddy Bruce, S. Poe's older brother, uh, traveled to Sri Lanka um, when he was on a semester at sea in college back in you know the mid-70s. And when he came back, he told me he met Arthur C. Clarke. He didn't have any idea who he was. He just sort of like found out um, that he lived in town when he <laughs> fucking, when the boat docked there. He went over his house. Clark actually mistook him for some other students that he was expecting that day, invited him in, gave him lunch. You know, uh, he was there for a couple of hours before like, you know, Clark realized that he was not the guy he was expecting and he knew nothing about Clark. He was like, so you invented the spacesuit or something like that? You know, Clark was like... And, of course, so when, when he came back and told me this story, it was very um, infuriating to me to think that this you know, meeting was wasted on Bruce when uh, I was the one that really would have appreciated seeing Clark. But at least Bruce came back at least knowing that I would appreciate the story. Uh, uh, dead at the age 90, uh, the great, great Arthur C. Clarke, Vicky Van Meter celebrated for piloting a plane across the country at age 11. I don't know if you remember um, when this girl uh, flew across the country at 11 years old. This was just about 10 or 11 years ago. Um, and she flew from the U U.S. to Europe at age 12, has died of an apparently self-inflicted gunshot wound. Van Meter died on Saturday. Her body was found in her Meadville home on Sunday. Her brother said she battled depression and opposed medication, but her family thought that she'd been dealing with her problems. She was unhappy, but it was hard for her to open up about that, and we all thought she was coping, Daniel Van Meter said. This really is a shock because we didn't see the signs. Van Meter made national headlines back in 93 and 94 when she made her cross-country and transatlantic flights accompanied only by a flight instructor. Her instructor said that she was at the controls, during the entirety of both flights, as a sixth grader in September of 93, Van Meter flew from Augusta, Maine to San Diego over five days. She had to fight strong headwinds and turbulence that bounced her single-engine Cessna 172, made her sick. Uh, at the time, she was believed to be the youngest girl to fly across the United States. The, the record was later broken. Nine months later, Van Meter flew from Augusta to Glasgow, Scotland, and was credited with being the youngest girl to make the transatlantic flight. She battled uh, dizziness brought on by high altitude and declared upon landing, I always thought it would be real hard, and it was. There you go. Took her own life, 22 years old. Such a mystery. You know, we all uh, cluck our tongues and shake our heads, but of course, she was 22 years old, and, uh, you know, maybe it was a well-thought-out decision. I like to think it was. Um... You know, it's a terrible, terrible thing when a young life is ended, but it's also a great thing when pain is ended. And um, certainly, you know, it may have been the wrong choice and it may be something we regret and we hate to see, but it is, after all, her choice, as unfortunate as it was. You're tuned into the ravings of a clown. Hanging in the chat room with Louis and S. Poe. Why not stop by and say hi? 646-502-8600 gets you live on the air with your old pal, the Jester. 
anti-war song from Dion DeMooch. Listen to the words of this song. I hear it still Thou shalt not kill When did they mean that mama I'm way out here And I'm in fear Pray for us mama Here he comes He's got a gun They say that he's my enemy Ain't it funny mama He looks a lot like me Just a boy Mama, he ain't no man Can I kill? Do you think I can? I hear it still Thou shalt not kill When did they mean that, Mama? I hear it still Thou shalt not kill
be alone, the present to be afraid and cold, so if I can shoot rabbits, then I can shoot fascists. Bullets for your brain today, but we'll forget it all again. Manic Street Preachers on Jester Radio. Uh, There's a line at the end, and on the street tonight, an old man plays with newspaper cuttings of his glory days, reminiscent of that uh, old Ralph McTell tune, Streets of London. Have you seen the old man in the closed-down market kicking up paper with his worn-out shoes in his eyes? You see no pride, hand held loosely at his side. Yesterday's paper telling yesterday's news. So I think it's, uh, and it's got sort of uh, some of those harmonies there. So I think it's kind of uh, meant to evoke um, Ralph McTell. Uh, 
Manic Street Preachers. Dion, before that, he looks a lot like me. A stunning uh, account, uh, um, account of a young man's encounter on the battlefield with uh, this person who he has been trained to perceive as uh, his enemy, and suddenly he realizes he's just some fucking little kid just like him, and how horrifying that is. A judge's ruling in the bitter Paul McCartney-Heather Mills divorce case shed new light today on a miserable marriage, saying Mills twisted the truth when convenient and made exorbitant financial demands. This is such a fucking sad story. And I got to tell you, I feel so bad for Paul. You know, I mean, I'm a fan, and, you know, fan makes you love the guy, you know, whatever he was. With all those fucking years with Linda, nobody ever heard about him, you know, hitting anybody and beating the fucking kids and all this crap that she said about him, and she's just the most miserable cunt. I heard her on the radio the other day, and she was actually saying how it wasn't enough that her kids got $70,000 a year in child support because she said now they have to travel by air five times a year, uh, and now they'll have to go second class uh, while their father flies around in first class. I mean, is she really... You know, this is the syndrome that women who marry rich men have is their sense of entitlement. Uh, you know, at my divorce uh, trial, my ex-wife got up there and talked about how she got a new car every two years, two fucking $60,000 car every two years, and she had an unlimited fucking budget, $2,000 week allowance. And so because she had had this, and by the way, not because I didn't beg her every fucking day since my kids could go to school to get a fucking offer lazy fat ass and get a job. Because I did. But she was fucking busy, you know, drinking and shopping all fucking day. And this is what happens, man. And then she went in and told the judge, hey, I got to drink and shop all day when I was married. And now since it's his fault that we're divorced, why that is, I don't know. But since it is, then I should continue to live that way. And, you know, that's the way it is. And, you know, most courts in in the United States, uh, you know, especially the Northeast uh, conservative states like Connecticut. To some extent, she's her own worst enemy, wrote Judge Hugh Bennett. She's been an explosive and a volatile character. Mills, who lost part of her leg when she was hit by a motorcycle, cast McCartney as an abusive alcoholic husband who cruelly made fun of her disability. But the judge made clear the angry assertions rang hollow. In a devastating indictment, Bennett called Mills' testimony not just inconsistent and inaccurate, but also less than candid. Overall, she was a less than impressive witness. By contrast, the judge praised McCartney, who's 65 years old now, for, quote, consistent, accurate, and honest testimony in the ruling which, by the way, was just made public after he rejected Mills' attempt to block the release, calling Mills' demand of $250 million from McCartney exorbitant. In light of their four-year marriage, the judge said that her claims may have been inflated because of her estranged husband's stature. The wife must have felt rather swept off her feet by a man as famous as her husband, he wrote. I think this may well have warped her perception, leading her to indulge in make-believe. The object facts, uh, objective facts do not support her case. He said Mills, who's 40 years old, had unreasonably expected that she would be able to live the deluxe McCartney lifestyle for the rest of her life, even after she divorced, although she strongly denied it. Her case boils down to the syndrome of me too, or if he has it, I want it. 
he wrote in awarding her $48.6 million. I mean, this is like fucking $50 million, man. She's set for a fucking 10 lifetimes. Mills maintained she needed $6.4 million a year for herself and her daughter Beatrice, as well as multi-million dollar properties in London and New York. Money for an office in Brighton uh, on England's south coast. Instead, the judge said Mills can get by on $1.2 million a year and one property worth $5 million in London. The former model also sought millions of dollars in lost income. <laughs> so she wants to be paid for when she, while she was married to him for the income that she lost, and then she wants to be paid for having been married to him. But Bennett rejected the claim, saying the former Beatle used his considerable prestige to actively promote his wife's career, not to quash it. Mills claimed, for example, that McCartney made her turn down a $2 million offer to model bras for Marks and Spencer, the British retail chain, but the judge said there's no evidence to support such a claim. Uh, McCartney said the couple jointly decided it was not a good idea for Mills to model lingerie when they were having a relationship. Bennett also said Mills greatly hurt her market value and potential earnings by attacking McCartney during two televised interviews last fall. To some extent, she's her own worst enemy, he wrote. She has an explosive and volatile character. She cannot have done herself any good in the eyes of potential purchases of her services as a TV presenter, public speaker, as a model, by her outbursts in her TV interviews, he wrote. The judge did not, however, punish Mills for reportedly dumping a glass of water on McCart McCartney's lawyer, Fiona Shackleton, in the final hours of the hearing on Monday. Shackleton, who represented Prince Charles in his divorce from Princess Diana, emerged with wet hair from the hearing, and Mills joked that she had baptized him in court. Still, the ruling gave a sympathetic description of Mills's childhood, describing how she left home when she was 15, supported herself with various jobs, began working as a model at 17, uh, soon finding jobs as a TV actor. Uh, the judge also recounted how McCartney, still grieving the loss of Linda, uh, wore the wedding rings that she gave him throughout the early years of his romance with Mills and only removed it uh, when he married the bitch. 58-year-old ruling, 50-page uh, a uh, 58-page ruling offered an unprecedented public airing of McCartney's finances. It showed just how far the former Beatle has come since his early days in Liverpool when the band dreamed of someday, someday scoring a top 10 hit. McCartney has long been rumored to be Pop's first billionaire. Accounts unveiled today show him to be short of that goal, but still worth the neighborhood of about 800 million smackers. With choice real estate holdings and an art collection, of Picasso's, Monet's, and other masters. In classic British understatement, the judge described McCarty as someone who, quote, composes, sings, and plays musical instruments. <laughs> he wrote how McCartney and his first wife, Linda, lived fairly modestly in Blossomwood, uh, Blossomwood Farm in the village of uh, Peasmarsh for many years and also had a property in London. In the late 1990s, the judge said, the singer had properties in New York and on Long Island as well as British properties in Rye, Somerset, Icklesham, Essex, and Merseyside. That's what you do when you got money. You buy lots of property. You know why? Because God made the earth, and he's not making any more of it. And now, this fucking cunt, Heather Mills, every day she takes a morning bath, she wets her hair. Every day she takes a morning bath, she wets her hair. Wraps a towel around her as she's heading for the bed. It's just another day Slipping into stockings Stepping into shoes Dipping in the pocket of her raincoat 
the office where the papers grow, she takes a break. Drinks another coffee and she finds it hard to stay awake. It's just another day. It's just another day. another letter to the sound of five people gather around her and she finds it hard to stay alive paul and linda mccartney on jester radio maybe one of their best efforts when a interviewer um uh, the editor of rolling stone mag magazine asked uh, john lennon what he thought about uh, ringo's new album he said, um, it's not as bad as Paul McCartney. <laughs> but still, you know, uh, you know, there's obviously some interest in the government uh, to, you know, uh, keep giving these women these outrageous awards. Why this woman deserves $50 million for sucking this guy's dick for five years. 
uh, it seems that uh, they were both adults. She was 30-something and he was 50-something. And in this uh, day and age, I think people know what they're getting into when they get into a relationship. And uh, then they should, you know, be responsible, shouldn't go to the courts. The courts should have no business in personal relationship. This is just a one of these wacky holdovers from Christianity where the fucking priest uh, has to stick his nose up every everybody's ass about everything. So none of the government's business who you're fucking and who you're not fucking. And if somebody moves out, then they're on their own. They don't get half of all your shit just because they thought that they were going to live that way. And what is the government's interest in perpetuating that? Um, to, you know, keep women down. I mean, it sounds crazy, but uh, this woman's got her $50 million and the rest of all womankind are um, basically just, uh, you know, in the business of trapping men. And, you know, if it, all it would take is for one woman to, you know, turn this down and say, this is absurd. I don't deserve any money uh, for having sucked his dick. I didn't give up anything. It's a choice I made just like a choice he made. And if I didn't work during those years, that was my fucking choice. Why do I get to have all that shit back? Why do I get to have everything made whole and made up for me as if... Um, the you know everything didn't happen, and I got to you know live in this luxury because marriage isn't about uh, b the bonding of love and the union of two people. It's about getting all the other person's shit. And in the eyes of the government, you're now one entity, you're one uh, corporation. And if you want to split up your shit, then you have to go back to the fucking government and split it up. So the lesson to be learned here is don't get fucking married. Uh, you want to commit yourselves to each other, then, you know, look each other in the face and say, I love you and I commit to being with you as long as I could stand you. And we'll reevaluate next week. Uh, no promises, no commitments in this world. It's stupid to say to somebody, I'll be with you forever. How the fuck do you know? What if they turn out to be a fucking junkie? Or what if they turn into a junkie? Or what if they turn into a serial killer? Stupid. There are some people who think that this concept of recontracting, you should revisit the idea of the relationship every certain period of time, every 10 years, every year, and say, how's it with you? Are you still getting out of it what you want? Otherwise, let's move on. No, uh, you're not getting out of it. Is there something I can do to fix it? You know, otherwise, that's it. We're grown-ups. You take your shit, I'll take mine. All the shit we got together, we'll have to work it out. <laughs> We're grown-ups here. Don't have to bring in the priest. Don't have to bring in the rabbi. Don't have to bring in the government. So as long as you, the, these, these cunts keep going to the government to compensate them for the lost future years of not having the guarantee, because to this woman, it wasn't a marriage. It was just a fucking financial arrangement. And now she's reducing it all to finances and say, well, now I don't get to live like this for the rest of my life like I thought I was going to. Like, f so what? How does that, how is that a, com a compensatory offense? How do you get fucking made whole for that? Who do I go to for all the shit that I got gypped out of in my fucking life? Just doesn't fucking work that way. And this, this shit, man, you hear about it. And all these chick songs, you know, uh, that song Diamonds and Rust, the Madonna was yours for free, the girl on the half shell to keep you unharmed. Like, it's as if... Uh, you know, that the, these women find themselves in this position, they're being forced into taking care of the man. And then when they lose the man, all they can think to say is, 
After all I gave to you, you fucking, what, what are you saying? I should stop now and go, up. Oh, you're right. I hate your guts. You're a fucking shrew. I can't stand the sight of you, but I'll stick with you because you gave me your fucking uh, 10 years of blowjobs. You gave me the best years. It's all about what chicks give you. What about what you fucking, what about what guys give the chick? What about the fucking safe home without having to worry about fucking rent and mortgage and, uh, you know, roof over their fucking heads? If that's the arrangement, which it almost always is, especially in these divorces, you don't hear the fucking women suing the guy for the divorce when she's the breadwinner in the house. Nor do you hear too much about guys getting big, big settlements when... She's the breadwinner in the house. Usually the court says, you're a guy. You can take care of yourself. And it just perpetuates this fucking sickness. And that's why the women out there, they see Heather Mills. And they don't think, oh, she's some cunt, you know, who uh, fucking disabused this guy of his fucking love and took advantage of his mourning for his dead wife. And uh, she's obviously a lying, conniving, gold-digging cunt. Um, they're not saying that. They're saying, man, this is why I got to fucking trap me a man. Because once I get him to sign on the dotted line, then he owes me half his shit, even if he breaks up with me. This is the way it fucking makes them think. No? I mean, is this just me? 646-502-8600 gets you live on the air if you got something to say about it. It's Tuesday, March the 18th, the year of our Lord, 2008. And you're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio, coming to you from a secret location outside your universe. The State Department says U.S. officials have concluded that the American embassy in Yemen was targeted by three mortar rounds that crashed into a nearby high school, apparently killing a Yemeni security guard. The attack happened today, and at the time, U.S. officials said they couldn't say for certain whether the real target was the U.S. embassy. Later today in Washington... The State Department said U.S. Embassy officials in Yemen had concluded that the attack was directed against our embassy. U.S. officials refused to comment further, saying it was still under investigation. In Yemen, the uh, Interior Ministry said that the shells fired by unidentified attackers also wounded five soldiers and 13 schoolgirls. So this is what uh, Bush and McCain would have you be afraid of, these fucking clowns. Uh, that try to bomb a U.S. embassy and end up uh, injuring 13 fucking little girls instead. Uh, this is what we're all supposed to be terrified of, why we should never pull out of Iraq, uh, because these fucking uh, Keystone terrorists uh, will get us. As you can plainly see, look around and see all the damage they've done in the past six years and before. They had this one little fucking shot uh, they blew their fucking load, and everybody's hyper fucking sensitive now. You know, like ever since that guy, you know, tried to light his shoes on fire. Uh, now, anytime somebody you know lights a match on a fucking airplane, they stomp him into the ground and ask questions later. It was during the card approval process that more than four million customer accounts at grocery stores in the Northeast and Florida were exposed to fraud, even though the company. Meets the latest standard for data security, a spokeswoman said today. Hannaford Brothers Company doesn't yet know how the breach, which began on December 7th and ended just uh, March 10th, occurred, according to Carol Eliezer, vice president of marketing for Hannaford, uh, which is based in uh, Scarborough, Maine. About 4.2 million credit card 
and debit card numbers were exposed and at least 1,800 stolen during the seconds that it takes for that information to travel to the credit card companies for approval after the customer swipes their card in the checkout line machine. Uh, on Tuesday, today, I should say many customers were not yet aware of the problem. Others who had read or heard about it didn't seem too alarmed. Shopper Mary Kellett said that she'll continue to shop at Hannaford, use her credit card. She'll also be more vil- uh, vigilant checking the card statements. Nobody's really found a perfect way to prevent this, uh, she said, as she loaded bags of groceries into her car at a Hannaford parking lot in Portland. But I'm still here shopping today. It is virtually impossible to make credit card transactions 100% secure, even if companies use state-of-the-art technology and accepted security practices, uh, according to Avishai Wool, chief technical officer at AlgoSec, a computer network security company in Reston, Virginia. That's like asking if you can have 100% secure home that cannot be broken into, Wool said. I don't think you can. If the bad guys spend enough money and have enough appropriate equipment, they can get through anything. So apparently there was some kind of um, some kind of worm or some kind of um, program that was actually tapping into these transactions and recording the data stream, and then later just decoding uh, the data stream using uh, software you know that's well known to hackers called a packet sniffer that uh, just searches through streams of uh, bits and decodes it into TCP/IP packets of data. And reconstructs, you know, what the data stream was. Uh, There's, you know, state-of-the-art tools that any 16-year-old hacker in China, you know, has access to. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. Uh, Why not stop by the Jester Radio chat room and say hi to Lucky Louie and S. Poe. Or give us a call, 646-502-8600. Gets you live on the air. Uh, with your old pal Marmalade on JR. Please don't fuck with that dial. It gets good starting right now. The changing of sunlight
Singing, talking, laughing, digging each other. Guess who on Just Radio? The incredible Burton Cummings singing Marmalade before that. Reflections of my life. The world is a bad place. A bad place. Terrible place to live. But I don't want to die. There you go. 
The uh, you've been listening to the ravings of a clown this Tuesday, March the eighteenth, the year of our Lord two thousand and eight. The FBI is hoping the police and public can help save the lives of three young children whom officials believe are in imminent danger. The Georgia children were allegedly abducted by their father, Eddie Harrington, back on March 5th. The nationwide FBI FBI bulletin uh, could not be any more blunt. Quote, Harrington reportedly is suicidal, his violent tendencies, and serious mental health issues. It says, the bulletin mentions reports that Harrington and the children's mother had been on rocky terms recently. After this abrupt disappearance, police said they examined letters left by Harrington that suggest that he's planning to kill the children. I'm asking the public to please help me. The children's mother, Gina Battle, tearfully pleaded at a Wednesday conference in Columbus, Georgia. I want my children home where they belong with me. Uh, my daughters, Alaya and Agina, are only 23 months old. My son, Cedric, he is three years old. He's a three-year-old boy. My children cannot take care of themselves. Please help me. My God, my God. Well, I mean, if they belonged home with you, then why aren't they there? Why'd you let this fucking wacko uh, get his hands on him? This is another great byproduct of marriage, uh, is this uh, sick fucking relationship um, especially with kids, we got to figure out a better way to deal with this uh, uh, missing father uh, deal. Uh, if a relationship breaks up and the um, the the children um, and there's children in the marriage, um, and the two parents can't reconcile, then we have to have a system where the parents don't co- ever come in contact with each other, where there's a um, intermediary party that interacts between the two parties because there is absolutely nothing more toxic to a child's existence than the two people, his web of security and safety, the two people that they depend on the most um, being at odds with each other. And, and of course, you know, in relationship, uh, you know, the definition of at odds can be very severe. A lot of times saying uh, vitriolic things about or towards each other, physically uh, threatening each other or physically abusing each other. And children who witness that or or are in between that never, ever fully recover from that. Take it from someone who knows. Two teenagers, one dangling from a rope, Tied to an interstate bridge and holding a can of spray paint did not see Sheriff's Deputy Melissa Myers when she drove up. They never got a chance to express their love with graffiti. I don't know what they were thinking, said Myers, a deputy of McCann County, uh, Tennessee, between Knoxville and Chattanooga. Myers said she drove up behind the 18-year-olds Michael Clark and Matthew Musnicki after someone reported a suspicious person leaning on the rail of a bridge. Out on Interstate 75, Matthew was going to write his name and then loves and then the girl's name. And then Clark was going to do the same uh, with the uh, girl's name on the other side. So they were both going to have, uh, you know, Michael loves Matthew and uh, I guess uh, whatever the girl's names were. The deputy arrested them both on Sunday. She said she took photos in a short video with her cell phone because the incident sounded too strange to be true. Meyer said... When she arrived, Clark was standing at the railing holding the rope with his friend dangling below. She told Clark to put his hands up, but he couldn't let go of the rope. She said Musnicki tossed the can of red spray paint and tried to escape, 
but got tangled in the rope. She put Clark in the car, drove around to the road below, and then arrested Musnicki after he was helped down by a passerby with a ladder. She said the interstate bridge is covered with graffiti already. Meyer said the judge hopefully is going to get fed up with all the vandalism. We've even had an Athens City patrol car spray-painted. All the buildings in the city have been spray-painted. Uh, both teens were charged with graffiti on public property, reckless endangerment. Both were released on $1,500 bond on Sunday, pending uh, charges uh, to be heard April 18th in court hearings. Phone numbers for the teens listed on the uh, police reporter, uh, the police um, blotter were disconnected. So they got too many calls. A long lo- love story is over at a German zoo. You may remember um, we reported on this uh, a couple of years ago. Pedro the Swan um, and her swan-shaped paddle boat are parting ways. Uh, Petra is a black swan uh, that became a minor celebrity back in 2006 when she became so attached to this boat which is shaped like a big white swan, that she refused to leave its side. Officials in the western city of Munster decided to let her stay with it over the winter, bringing both bird and boat into the zoo. However, Petra met a live swan this winter. Zoo director Jörg Adler says she and her new mate, also a white swan, are now building a nest together. The boat uh, will be returned to its local owner on Thursday. Um, his schnoz is not to be sniffed at. The nose of leading European winemaker and taster Ilja Gort has been insured for 5 million euro, which is about 8 million real dollars. Lloyds of London said today he took out the policy after hearing about a guy who lost his sense of smell in a car accident. He said, oh, shit, if I happened to me, I'd be fucked. I thought it must be a horror to lose your smell, Gort said. It would mean... That you can't taste wine anymore. Tasting wine is something you do with your nose, not your mouth. Uh, Gort, who's 47, said that his nose is essential for him to produce top-quality wine at his Chateau de la Garde vineyard in the famous Bordeaux region of France, so he got it insured. The custom-made policy covers Gort for the loss of either the nose itself or the sense of smell and has some unusual conditions. The insurance contract includes a list of what Gort considers old-fashioned rules to protect his nose. Uh, Dutchman's not allowed to ride a motorcycle. He can't uh, be in a boxing match. Um, he can't be a knife thrower's assistant or a fire breather. Uh, I, I can't fight Mike Tyson, Gort said. Jonathan Thomas, the lead underwriter at Lloyd's Watkins Syndicate, took Gort's long curly beard into account when drafting the policy and added a clause about Gort only going to experienced barbers who will keep their razors steady when it is approaching the nose. Uh, these insurance policies, they're not all dry, Thomas said. There's a bit of fun, and we can add with them as well. Uh, there's one of, this is one of the many uh, Lloyd's body part insurance policies. Lloyd's reported uh, entertainment icon Marlene Dietrich uh, had her legs insured, uh, and that Rolling Stone guitarist Keith Richards was paid when he injured his finger on tour in the 1990s. America Ferrara, star, star of the ABC TV show's uh, Ugly Betty, uh, has her smile insured for ten million bucks? So that's uh, their specialty. Lloyd specializes in unusual risks. Interesting business uh, to be in to guarantee somebody uh, to make them whole if uh, damage occurs to them. Goes back to these um, guys that sold policies to the wives who went of the sailors who went out to sea. 
that if their husbands didn't get home, that they would be taken care of for the rest of their lives. And they sold them down at the docks on the days that their husbands went out. And, uh, of course, their husbands always came back because they only sold policies to the, you know, the safest ships. And they made a fortune because they didn't have to ever have to pay anybody. Insurance is an amazing business. You know, 10,000 people pay, you know, some money and you only have to pay, you know, one of them back. A pet macaw named Danny Boy flew the coop in Carpinteria, California, and was found 15 months later, 80 miles away in Pasadena. Greg and Susan Vallislakis, who uh, have moved from uh, Cooper Interior to Colorado, learned days ago that Danny Boy had been found. The bird flew away on December 6, 2006, leaving the couple heartbroken. They listed Danny Boy on a online bird lost and found website but didn't hear anything until just this month. The McCall was found flying free March 12th in Pasadena, taken to the Pasadena Humane Society. Uh, the bird was then featured on the Society website, and the Vallisnakuses were tracked to their new home in Colorado. Mrs. Vallisnakus called the Pal- uh, Pasadena shelter and said uh, to put the bird on the phone. <laughs> Skeptical Humane Society manager then put the woman on the speakerphone, and it seems Danny Boy waves his foot when asked while offering him a treat. Danny Boy, who had been sullen and morose, heard the familiar voice of his owner and perked up, fluffed up his feathers, and became animated. He waved his little foot throughout the ensuing conversations. Santa Barbara Bird Sanctuary in Summerland is expected to retrieve Danny Boy and arrange for the Vallisnakuses to pick him up. What a heartwarming tale of bird and man. What's fucking colder than a fucking bird? I just don't get the deal with people... With pet birds, you know, you can't cuddle up with them. I got the uh, Jester Mutt here. She goes everywhere with me, literally, if you know what I mean. But um, she's, you know, cuddling, and she's not only just a cuddler and a hugger, but she's one of these dogs that, like, lets you hug them for a protracted period of time. You know, sometimes you just need, like, a big... And then, like, you know, the dog will, like, squirm away from you, like, Jesus Christ, you know. But she doesn't do that at all. She's like happy. She like pushes into it. She pushes in. That's the best part. That's what Jekyll says. She doesn't even pull away. She pushes in. Uh, finally this evening, a piece of meteorite stolen from a museum was recovered after a guy who owns another slice of the same rock saw it at a gun show. Someone stole the 12 by 16 inch meteorite slice valued at about $5,000 from the Joshua Tree Earth and Space Museum in Lakeville, Indiana, about two weeks ago. On Saturday, museum founder Terry Boswell got a call from a friend and fellow meteorite collector who was working at a gun show at the Indiana State Fairgrounds in Indianapolis. He said, I think I found your meteorite. Boswell said, I couldn't believe it. Neil Smith told Boswell that a man was trying to sell the rock but left it behind before police arrived. Boswell uh, said Smith owns another slice of that same meteorite and was one of the few people in the world who could have identified it. The odds of someone stealing this meteorite and then taking it to the person who has the sister piece is unbelievable, Boswell said. There's only a handful of people in the world who'd be able to identify with certainty, and here he goes right to the fellow who knew it was stolen. The name of the man who tried to sell the meteorite has been given to the Lakeville police who are searching for him. The meteorite is being stored in the museum office while Boswell looks for ways to increase security. Boswell created the museum about 10 miles south of South Bend as a place where children can get their hands-on experience. 
with objects like fossils and meteorites. How cool is that? Hey, you've been listening to the Ravings of a Clown this Tuesday, March the 18th, the year of our Lord, 2003. I can't thank you enough for stopping by and spending a little of your time with us this evening. It always goes by so quickly. My best two hours of the day. It's the only two hours that I give a fuck about. So I thank you for that. And on behalf of Bob, the engineer, and Dolly, the receptionist, remember, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. It's not about you. Don't make assumptions. And always, this is the most important thing, always do your best. We will meet in that place where darkness never comes. Until that time, Houston, the first song we ever played on Jester Radio. Good night. See you tomorrow. world it is exploding violence flaring bullets loading you're old enough to kill but not for voting you don't believe in war but what's that gun you're toting and even the jordan river has bodies floating but you tell me over and over and over again my friend i you don't Don't you understand what I'm trying to say? Can't you feel the fears I'm feeling today? If the button is pushed, there's no running away. There'll be no one to save with the world in a grave. Take a look around you, boy. It's bound to scare you, boy. And you tell me. Yeah, my blood's so mad, feels like coagulating I'm sitting here just contemplating I can't twist the truth, it knows no regulation Handful of senators don't pass legislation And marches alone can't bring integration When human respect is disintegrating This whole crazy world is just too frustrating And you tell me over and over and over again My friend, I don't believe We're on the eve of destruction All the hate there is in Red China Then take a look around to Selma, Alabama You may leave here for four days in space But when you return, it's the same old place The pounding of the drums, the pride and disgrace You can bury your dead, but don't leave a trace Hate your next-door neighbor, but don't forget to say grace And tell me